Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 185. I'm Walt Shelton. I challenge you to invest in and take care of yourself, invest in and care for others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling and sense of vocation. Practicing daily preparatory routines for your faith journey is key. One way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Mater. When I think of being what it means to be Christian, to me that means to get up each day and endeavor to the best of our talents and abilities with God's help to live out our faith, consistent with the the role model Jesus gave us. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Walt Shelton. I asked Walt to share with you his thoughts about faith and law. Walt also shares with you how he believes that daily practices and routines are the key to growth and how he described this in his book, Authentic Living. I also asked Walt to share with you how faith and practical action are one area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to hold you accountable and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in Productivity for Your Passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. Walt Shelton is one of the most read faith columnists in Texas over the past decade, writing countless columns for the Austin American Statesman. Professor Shelton has focused in recent years speaking and writing primarily on ethical, wellness, life quality, and faith-related topics, not only for attorneys, but for everyone in a variety of contexts, often related to people in demanding work environments that make it difficult to balance priorities. He's a professor at Baylor Law School, an environmental attorney, and a noted speaker, and he is passionate about empowering others through knowledge and encouragement. 
Professor Shelton has taught at Baylor Law School since 1990, and he currently teaches four environmental and water-related courses. He also supervises externships at federal and state agencies, directs independent studies, and sponsors the Baylor Environmental and Natural Resource Law Society. Walt has published two books, The Daily Practice of Life and Authentic Living in All Seasons. Walt is married to Roxanne, and they have two children, five grandchildren, and a special Dutch hound, and they live there in the Austin area. Welcome to the show, Walt. Thank you so much, Scott. So, Walt, we we talked a little bit about in the intro how you've had a, a bit of a winding personal journey to kind of get where you are, but... What led you down the road to deciding to write the columns that you write and then turn them into books and work on that as a way of getting a message out into the world? It is a different kind of journey, but I suppose all of our journeys are. I grew up, Scott, in a traditional Baptist church in East Texas. My faith has always meant a lot to me. I had some early Sunday school teachers that encouraged me to study the Bible and make it my own. But things really took a turn toward what I'm doing now when I was in college. I went to the University of Texas, essentially majored in religion. It was a history degree that allowed me the latitude to take a number of courses and languages and prepare myself to go to graduate school. And in that context, there were certain professors, teachers that I bonded with and my mentors, uh, both in terms of my interest in religious studies and digging deeper into my faith, as well as my interest in teaching, which started them then. And it started a lot because I admired these teachers so much and what they meant to me having them as mentors, really choosing them as mentors and seeing them as role models and them encouraging me to follow my aspirations. I went from University of Texas straight to graduate school in religion and did an MA in religion at Baylor and part of a PhD. And one of the hardest decisions I ever made in my life, Scott, was to lead my leave my full ride PhD in religion because we were ready to start a family. Mm -hmm. But the family was more important and uh, taking care of my children and my wife. So I became an insurance adjuster of all things to make a living. But one thing that stayed constant that actually started in graduate school is that I have taught and led Sunday school and faith related groups since 1978 mostly in churches, but also for a handful of years, an interfaith group. In terms of my writing, as a law professor, of course, I did a lot of writing and teaching on legal issues, but began to develop more of an interest in the ethical components, being a lawyer in terms of speaking and writing, but in a little different way than many lawyers speak and write about ethics. I was more concerned about how the way we live our lives, what our priorities are, how that translates into being a better person and a a better and more effective 
lawyer. In terms of my columns in the paper, which really started a watershed for me in terms of changing how I spend my time and my priorities now in writing and speaking. The Austin paper has for a long time had a very good faith and life quality related column. But for many years, Scott, when we lived here, there was someone on staff that was responsible for writing them. They did an excellent job. I noticed at a point they changed and started having guest writers. And I decided the lark, I felt I had a sense one day of something to write about my father's memorial service after he died. And so I wrote something and decided, what could it hurt to send this in? So I sent it in and in short order had a nice response and they said they'd like to publish it. They did. I heard from a number of readers. I was blown away by how many readers I heard from in terms of I love your approach. I love your practicality to faith matters. Please keep writing. So I did. (laughs) And uh, over the years, I had, I don't know what the number is, Scott, 60 to 70 articles in the paper. I still do that kind of uh, article, shorter, journal-like, if you will, type of of writing, but I found some other outlets, including, for example, Progressive Christianity. In terms of the book, again, the source of that really is readers of my columns. I started having readers reach out to me and say, you should write a book because, and again, the emphasis was almost always on the practicality of the writing and the application to -to day-to-day life and the emphasis on how we live every day. So I decided, like I did when I wrote the first column, what could it hurt to write a book? And I really felt a sense of more than attraction to it. I felt almost a a compelling sense of this is something I really want to do and need to do, even if if someone's not interested in publishing. And so I wrote the book and I used my first 40 columns as a basis for the book, but revamped them into a book format. And the second publisher I sent the manuscript to responded within two weeks with a book contract. And subsequent to that, Scott, I was fortunate to have so many readers of my book reach out to me and tell me the same things I'd heard about my column but in, in a more inspiring way, if you mm-hmm. will. So that, that encouraged me to write a second book, which was published about a year and a half after my first book, a little different from my first book, similar in some ways, but more of an emphasis on some key components that I consider important for us living authentically and meaningfully as people of faith, as Christians or people of of other authentic tradition. That may be a bit long-winded, but that's the line. (laughs) No, I've got some follow-up things to to run down on that, but not too long-winded at all. But so when you think about it, you mentioned several times that your column, the practical, you were taking practical approach. 
And yet I think a lot of times when people hear faith, spirituality, those sorts of things, they think of it kind of by definition as impractical, not really in the real world or the practical. How do you see the intersection between what you call the practical application and what I guess the more common belief of faith might be? I think the intersection at the time of Jesus was that what we think of today is belief and practice were intertwined. They were inseparable. Mm -hmm. In my study of the New Testament and just thinking about life experiences and what I think is meaningful about faith, two words that I think Jesus said more than often have had a great influence on my perspective. And those are the words, follow me. And to to me, that syncs up well with at the close of the, the longest recorded account of his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. At the close of that, he says, essentially, I don't care. Who calls me Lord? I care, I care about how you live. Mm-hmm. And Scott, so when I think of the practical applicability of faith, to me, if it doesn't have practical applicability in our daily lives, then it's close to meaningless. And I'm concerned that in our day and time, for some people, certainly not for all, But for some people, when they think belief and they think that Christianity is about what one believes, in our culture, that can have kind of a superficial, just affirm something in words. Whereas I think at the time of Jesus, anything affirmed in words was meaningless unless it was actualized in how we live day to day. So I think I think in terms of when I think of being what it means to be Christian, to me that means to get up each day and endeavor to the best of our talents and abilities with God's help to live out our faith, consistent with the role model Jesus gave us and the the primary emphases in his teachings, how we treat each other, in other words. Are you walking the walk, not just talking the talk? (laughs) Absolutely. And again, Scott, it seems to me at the time of Jesus and what Paul wrote and some of the ways that I, I think some people, certainly not all people, use some kind of snippets from Paul about if you just affirm this or if you just believe this, it's all you need to do. I don't think they're understanding Paul correctly, because when we read the entirety of Paul, it was essential to Paul how we live. For example, Paul saying, the only thing that matters is faith made effective through love. And again, I think it's, so I talk a lot on the show about the 
either or mentality versus both and mentality. What I mean by that is I think a lot of times in our society, we tend to put things, especially in the Western culture, it's either this or it's that. So it's about faith or it's about works. Why can't it be both? <laughs> it's, it's okay to be both too. So those are not mutually exclusive things. You can have belief that's in your heart and your mind, and maybe you don't even fully understand why you believe it, but you believe it and also go do good things for each other. It's not like one of those prevents the other. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more, Scott. And I think that I think that they're one and the same. Mm -hmm. I think they're the one and the same. I don't think faith is authentic without works. And again, back to back to Paul, he he tells us God created us for good works. Uh, And that I couldn't agree more with you, Scott, the way you put it when we create a strict dichotomy between superficial belief and faith. I'm going to put it that way and living it out in works. Then I think that we're missing out on what Jesus was all about. So the other thing you mentioned in your intro that I think is worth unpacking a little bit more is teacher at heart. You've been teaching for a long time. You've been writing, you've been doing all of these things, but then you also mentioned you work with the law and teach on ethics and that sort of thing. And obviously we could go for all of the various jokes that everybody makes about lawyers, <laughs> right? There, there's 1.5 bazillion of them. And there's a reason for that because there is, I think sometimes people see things that happen in the law and go, that's just not right. That's not right way to do it. How do you kind of intersect and how do you look at where your faith fits and how that overlaps with the law and how you approach teaching lawyers about ethics and these sorts of things. Well, a couple of things there, Scott, in a sense, law school is a context for me living out what I consider my vocation, uh, which is teaching and having hopefully my faith and practice by the way I treat and encourage people. Another thing, though, is that I grew up with a very positive impression of attorneys. And a lot of that is rooted in my great-grandfather. My maternal grandmother's father was a judge in East Texas. And she told me when I was a little boy about her dad, that he was a judge that presided over the trial of, I think it was three white men who had lynched a black man Mm. and they were found guilty. And my grandmother told me that her father lived for the rest of his life with death threats. And I knew other lawyers growing up, including some others in my family, that I considered champions of justice in terms of what I mean by justice is biblical justice. Mm -hmm. up For people who need help and who were poor, who were impoverished, who were impressed. And I think that lawyers 
can put themselves in unique positions to have an incredible impact on the pursuit of justice. And I associate the pursuit of justice at the very heart of the gospel. I see Jesus, for example, in the fourth chapter of Luke coming out of the wilderness after a time of what I consider introspection to make sense of his calling it his baptism. And he says with clarity in, in, in the synagogue, God has anointed me to bring good news to the, to the poor and to set the oppressed free. And so, and yes, I understand the lawyer. And as a lawyer, Scott, and my career as a lawyer and teacher overlap for 32 years. But the story is I've progressively become more teacher and less lawyer. But I know by working in the legal field heavily, there are a variety or are a variety of kinds of lawyers out there. I hope what I do in law school, and I certainly have my very bad days and downsides <laughs> and moments, but I hope to set an example and to encourage and to help other lawyers to pursue their aspirations, especially when I sense that their heart is really toward helping other people and they see the law as a vehicle for that. Mm -hmm. It's the, one of the lawyer jokes that's out there though, is and thinks that lawyers are bad until they need one. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, wait a minute, maybe they're not so bad after all, because because obviously it's like any other field, teachers, lawyers, doctors, podcasters, whatever. There's good ones and bad ones because there's good. There's people that act in good ways and bad ways it has nothing to do with the profession. And yet I think we make lawyers into the butt of the joke sometimes. I, th I think that's I think that's true. And I think for me, Scott, whether or not I ended up teaching religion in college, which was my original plan, or history, or been a high school teacher, my life would be, and my interests, and what I hope to accomplish each day would be very similar to the context I'm in, in law school. <laughs> uh -huh. That makes sense, I hope. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Yeah. It, because you are who you are, it, again, independent of what you're doing, but yet it also informs what you're doing. So it works both ways. And the relationship building is so important. That's such an important part of teaching. It was for me as a student. And another thing I suppose that is part of the intersection with law school is that since I went to law school and became a lawyer, I, sp I feel a strong connection with students in law school, what they're considering doing, and then what they do as lawyers. And I love the relationship building aspect of teaching, not only with students, but with the handful of students that over the years, post-graduation, have become my good friend. That is one of the biggest treasures of being a teacher that I have. Yeah, I agreed. As a former teacher, I agree. I always tell the kids that reach back out to me sometimes years later, it's like that 
that's what actually makes I think teaching is one of those fields that very much lives out the you often are watering and planting seeds and never seeing the harvest. And so it's really nice when the students come back and it's okay, now I get to see the harvest too sometimes and see the results of what happened in the classroom. Absolutely. That 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 means a lot because teachers meant so much to me. And if someone comes back to me and said, the way you treated me, the advice you gave me has meant a lot to me. And I want to continue our friendship that that enriches my life in so many ways. So let's talk a little bit about the book. So you, the first you've written two. so the daily practice of life and authentic living in all seasons in, in, authentic living, and it sounds like both of them have some of this from what you were describing earlier, where you talk about daily practices and you talk about routines that are that are strong and vital to living a Christian life. Could you share a couple that you see as the most important or the most foundational or most critical sorts of daily practices that folks need to focus on? Absolutely. The primary thing, in my opinion, that is so very important, indeed vital to our faith journey, is having a first-of-the-day routine to prepare ourselves for living with with intent, with commitment, and then going forward with response action to live a day at a time, to stay focused, to pay full, complete attention to the person before us, to the task at hand, the opposite of multitasking, the opposite of always having our mind dispersed, thinking about what we've just done, what we need to do, and instead doing everything to be fully present. And for me, it needs to be the first thing I do during the day. And I think it's something that that's very personal, something we experiment with. For me, it involves reading scripture, reading a portion of another meaningful book, being quiet. Scott, it certainly needs to involve coffee. It needs to involve my porch or my chair in my study, my dog in my lap, some meditative prayer. And then, Scott, I still myself even better when I move. And so I follow up my time of being still in a chair and with a book and just being quiet with a walk. I'm a longtime runner, so I find walking and running now. That that's the main thing. And I take my cue there's from Jesus. There's a at the end of the first chapter of Mark and toward the end of the fourth chapter of Luke. We're told that very early in the day, Jesus went off to a deserted place by himself for a time of prayerful reflection. And I'm reading something into this. To to me, I think that implies a habit of his. And so I remember having a thought at one point in my life when I that occurred to me. If Jesus as a human being needed a first of the day routine, goodness knows I do. 
to stay on track. Another important routine for me just during the day is to have a plan in mind when we inevitably fall off the path of how we intend to live. And that can include thinking back to our morning time and the stillness, the God's presence that we experienced, what we intended for the day, and maybe even having a word or a phrase of the day. And one idea there that occurred to me in preparing for talking to you today is the title of your podcast, Inspired Stewardship. I love the title of your podcast because it captures inspiration, our personal calling and vocation, our talents, what we want to do, all those things collectively, and then stewardship, handling it and living it with care. So that's as good as any I can think of. Others might be compassion, having an attitude of gratitude, a theme for the day, a theme for today. So those are in terms of daily practices. They're things that have helped me. And Scott, don't misunderstand me. They haven't led to perfection. What they help me with is in having a routine, having a process, re-examining it, tweaking with it to make it more effective, but it always being a work in progress to keep me as close to the narrow path as I can stay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm a Methodist at heart. And so John Wesley's has a sermon called On to Perfection. And the the whole point of the sermon is we're always on a journey towards perfection. It's not that we ever reach it. It's that we, if we're not striving to go that direction, then we're missing the boat, so to speak. God, Uh, I couldn't believe, I couldn't agree more. And I think when Jesus says in the sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He's talking in an aspirational way, aspire to be perfect. And as you so artfully put it, it's always a work in progress. And that's, I love the term disciple, discipline. It's a practice. It's an art. And if we're not working at it daily, if we're not working on being present in the now with the people we're with and focusing on our task or activity at hand, then it's going to be hard to make progress. So what do you think when you think about having those daily practices, having a practical model, and then having a spiritual life? And again, with the idea in mind that this is not an either or, like we talked about earlier, it's a both and. How do you think these actually help inform our success in life? Get whatever... And however we define success in life, not not trying to define that in a particular way. Okay, okay, and and, and I think I'll that, that's a great question, and, and I'll bite at the last part of it and 
offer my meaning of what I consider successful. What I consider successful is meaningful living and fulfilling our sense, our personal sense of vocation with intentional choices, commitment, and response action in what we do and how we live on a daily basis. One of my favorite authors is Harold Kushner. And in his book, When All You've Ever Wanted Isn't Enough, and what a captivating title, Scott. Just to think about that, when all you've ever wanted isn't enough, he offers what I think is just wonderful advice. And this would be, if I had to just pick a motto for having a practical routine day to day, and a goal for it, it would be what he says in that book. And that is, we should aspire to fill each day with one day's worth of meaning. I love that. A day at a time, in the now. Hopefully, Scott, you and I both have a lot of years and a lot of days left to live. But for all of us, it seems to me the only thing we're sure of each day is now, and therefore focusing on how we're living in the now each day, life step by step. Again, going back to Paul, uh, another one of my favorite Paulisms is be careful how you live, making the most of the time. I think that might also be a good concept of success. At the end of our days, when we look back at them, or at the end of today, when we look back on it, have we made the most of our time toward living meaningfully for others and for ourselves, consistent with who we believe God is calling us to be? And I think that also aligns with what we want to do and be, because to me, those things are intertwined in terms of finding our gifts and being aware of our opportunities. I think that's a practical way to think about how God calls us Mm -hmm. and what our vocation is, as opposed to finding a needle in a haystack. I think it's more about introspection in a prayerful way and Mm -hmm. finding a way to apply that daily. Yeah, I think we often... I think we often, our calling shows up when we're not looking for it in a way, meaning when we're out there doing things and sometimes that's when all of a sudden that thing shows up that we were meant to do it. We just didn't even, we didn't know we were looking for it. If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me, Scott, because I remember both in starting to choose teachers as mentors and then how I felt when I started teaching just one course, one afternoon a week, and primarily being a lawyer, a lawyer, I fell in love with it. I right. fell in love with it. And I it caused me to think of vocation in a different way. I remember growing up and hearing so often, God has a plan for your life and you need to find it. But oftentimes it was presented as Gosh, I've got to 
I better find the right thing and not make a mistake. But then it occurred to me, no, it's a matter of partnership. It's a matter of, of seeking, including through our own experience, how God is leading us and the opportunities that we have and discovering what we love and how we think we can make a positive difference. And for me, that was triggered by teachers that made such a difference in my life. So I've got a few questions that I like to ask all of my guests, but before I go that, what else would you like to share either from your journey or or from your books with the listener? A couple of things, Scott. One is the importance in addition of daily practices of periodic practices. And again, I'll take Jesus as my model. I see his time in, in the wilderness as not being a one-time thing. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that the tempter departed to from him until another opportune time. I see that as a time of introspection where Jesus was wrestling his special mission as God on earth in human form. And I believe he discovered it in what God had called the Jews to do. And lest we forget, Jesus was a Jew. I think he tied directly into being a champion of justice and a champion of love and a champion of caring. And I think it's important for us, and I talk about this in both books to a greater extent in my second book, of the importance of periodic, be it annual, semi-annual, quarterly, self-audits or personal retreats where we get away, even if it's getting away for half a day or a few hours in our own house, but better yet, maybe going off somewhere and examining how we've been living, thinking about our priorities and the way we're spending our time, seeing if the two align, thinking about whether we should tweak with our priorities and the way we live, not in a self-judgment way, but in a self-analytical way, and using that as a springboard to come forth and to commit ourselves to making changes. But I think that's something that we do periodically. And to me, combining daily routines with periodic routines is especially important toward success in the sense of of meaningful living. And then the second thing is, in my second book, I focus on three key things in part one that I think are especially important to authentic or meaningful living. And that is first what we've been talking about, the importance of full attention and awareness in the moment, being where we are and making it count and working on that. Secondly, not allowing fear to get in the way with pursuing our aspirations in life, what we feel is our calling, our vocation. And I'm talking here about fear in a bad way. Fear is a good thing when it keeps us from running across the interstate or into a burning house unless it's to save a family member. But I'm thinking here of fear as a state of inertia where we're afraid we might be making a mistake 
afraid of taking the wrong path as opposed to just recognizing that the emotion of fear is normal. But when we feel inspired about something, we should pursue it with all of our vigor. And then the last thing is the importance, and this keys into the periodic practices of consistently re-examining our priorities, how we're spending our time, and really living in a mode of repentant living. Repentance in the sense of not, I'm a failure and I'm sorry for everything, but repentance in the need for progress in changing and working toward the perfection as we were talking about. So you mentioned stewardship earlier is one of those themes for the day, taking inspired stewardship. And obviously that's my brand. That's how I run things, the lens I run things through. But stewardship, like leadership, is one of those words that I hear people use, but we don't always mean the same thing by it. And I'm a firm believer in defining our terminology. So for you, when you hear the word stewardship, what is the meaning of that word and what has its impact been on your life? The first thing I think about is I think the most important synonym, and that is care and caring. Stewardship for me is all about being careful and intentional and committed to how we are living and how we're relating to other people and how we are dealing with the opportunity that present themselves to us or ever present in the context of our work lives and our personal lives. I think stewardship is incredibly important. I think we should, we could and should think of stewardships of our stewardship related to our time, our talents, our opportunities, our families, our friends, uh, and every everyone else as an inherent part of our faith journey, if not the heart of our faith journey. And it's meant everything to me, both in observing others who are mentors and role models that are very good stewards of their time, of how they live, of how they deal with their family and their friends and of how they are constantly working to be better stewards of all those things. Mm. This is my favorite question that I like to ask everybody. Imagine for a minute that I can invent this magic machine. And with the power of this machine, I was able to pluck you from the seat where you are today and transport you into the future, maybe 150, 200 years. And through the power of this machine, you were able to look back on your whole life and see all of the impacts, all of the ripples, all of the connections that you've left behind in the world. What impact do you hope you've left behind in the world? I hope that it's while people that remember me will certainly recognize that I, like everyone, have my faults and my very bad days. I hope that the things they would remember would key into being kind, caring for other people, being empathetic, being inclusive, and being compassionate, all without a trace of partiality. 
In other words, regardless of race, creed, economic level, or any other differences. So as you continue on through this into the new year and keep working through it, what's coming next for you as you continue on this journey? Over the last six to eight months, Scott, I have started spending more of my time and investing more of looking for opportunities in speaking. Uh, I have done a lot of speaking in the last eight to 10 months on to a variety of audiences. And with wellness, I'm talking about self-care. I also include things that we've talked about today, the importance of living a step at a time and being focused and attentive, having preparatory routines. So I'm hoping to expand that. And I've spoken, I've done wellness presentations for law students, wellness presentations for employees, wellness presentations for lawyers, so for filling the... I've also led a few church and faith-related retreats on many of the topics that we've talked about, practically living our faith, daily and periodic practices that can help us stay along the narrow path more consistently, working toward that point of perfection that we never reach, but we always aspire to, and being good friends to ourselves. Talking about things that I've had feedback from readers that have helped them. So that's what I'm turning to. I'm going to continue my writing, both my shorter writing and may well write another book. On the near-term horizon is more speaking or as much speaking as short writing and probably not another book for a while, although who knows. <laughs> you can find out more about Walt Shelton over on his website at waltshelton.com. Both of his books and more about his speaking is listed there if you're interested in having him come and present to your group. Walt, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? I want to thank the listeners for taking the time for listening to us today, Scott, uh, and to thank you for having me on your show. I've enjoyed very much our conversation and the conversations that we've had outside of the podcast. I hope that readers will consider picking up and taking a look at and reading my books, and I hope you find them meaningful. I'd also encourage readers, as I've done and as is reflected in my books, to think more through their life experiences and reflect upon them and what they can learn from them, because I believe that our life experiences and what we learn from them is a very underrated and important aspect of our faith journey. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please do us a favor. 
go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact the world.